0: Please turn your Bibles to 1st John chapter 2. Praise God, we got to chapter 2. Amen. <laughs> right. uh, we are going to uh, begin in verse 1. In fact, let me just uh, introduce this with a quote. Simon J. Kissamarka writes, he said, except for Jesus, there is no one who is sinless. Even if we know God's law and precepts, we still stumble and sin from time to time. What remedy is there for the person who has fallen into sin? John provides the answer by pointing to Jesus Christ and says, now in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So let's break this down and um, look at this one piece at a time. First of all, the term, my little children, can also be translated, my dear children. Now, the Apostle John has been correcting, uh, you all remember, okay, from verses 1 to 10 in the first chapter, all right? And he's talking, talking to people about deceiving themselves and lying to themselves and lying to everyone around them and so on and so forth. And then he gets to this place and he turns around and he says, my little children or my dear children, and both are actually accurate. What does this tell us? He's now telling us, listen, everything that I've been telling you is because I care for you. Now, a lot of pastors today, they care more about having a congregation than, than ministering to the congregation. Do you know the difference? See, if I, you know, if I just preach to you all the stuff everybody wants to hear, well, things will just grow very quickly. I'm I'm serious, okay? But the thing is that you won't grow. This will grow, but you won't. You know, I I can point to a lot of churches that are huge, and people are just not doing well. But they're happy while they're in church. See, you're not here to be happy. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Okay? When you learn the truth the joy of God starts to to, to rise up on the inside of you. And the Bible says, it is your strength. Do you understand? Even if that means that you need something corrected in your life. Because, you know, if there is something wrong, the last thing you want me to be standing up here and saying is, don't worry about it, it'll all be okay. And it isn't. As, As soon as you step out the door, it isn't. Are you with me? And so, you know, the the whole point of this, and this is what the Apostle John is saying, and this is a really important thing, because there are some pastors out there, all they want to do is beat their congregation. And that's not right either. So you've got these two extremes happening. The the reason I'm sharing all this with you is just keep an eye out when you are being ministered to and who you're listening to. Amen? You know, don't always go with the most popular ones, necessarily you find out the one that ministers to you, the one that is real to you. The one that speaks to you and causes you to make course corrections without condemning you. Did you get that? Because if you are condemned, then you'll make a course correction for the wrong reason and then you'll go back to what you were doing. Because you'll get over that feeling of condemnation. That's not what you want. What you want is for the Spirit of God to speak to you and say, you are better than this. You know you are. Amen? And I've got some tremendous things ahead of you, but I need you to get with the program so we can get there. Now that you can do, because there is a future in that. Amen? And it's not you just stopping something, it is you moving towards something. Do you see the difference? A lot of Christians today are being told, just stop doing that and stop doing that, but they're never given the reason why they are stopping that. It's, it's never because you, there's something better. It's just, you should stop doing that and, because it's a bad thing. Some, <laughs> I don't know whether it was God or somebody said, you know, some days, you, after a while, you don't know which one it is. But <laughs> God said through someone, or oh, He said to me directly, how about that? Okay, you know, <laughs> He said, if you aren't busy doing the right thing, you won't have time to do the wrong thing. Did you get that? That works... With every area of your life. Now you think about that and you apply it to, you know, even the situations in your home with kids, whatever. This works across the board. Have you all heard the little phrase, idle hands or the devil's playground? Now you understand why, right? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, back to this. The two things that we also see in this verse is that in the Apostle John saying, my little children... He, he's letting us know his age as well, because he's quite old by this time. all right. And also the other thing is, by saying, my dear children, it shows the great love and affection that he actually has for them. Now, I. Howard Marshall says this as a, just a side thought, because this is another thing that I, I thought maybe we should deal with very quickly. He says, it is interesting that although the disciples were commanded not to call one another father... The relationship of the pastor to his congregation is often likened to that of a father addressing their congregation as children. Alright, let me give you some examples and I want to talk to you. In 3 John and verse 4 it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. See, this is what makes pastors happy. Just, just saying, that was a side thought. Okay, First <laughs> Corinthians 4.14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, this is the Apostle Paul now. He says, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Okay, notice he says, my beloved children. These men pray for their congregations, pray for the body of Christ. Because they do, they have this relationship of, uh, you know, father and children type relationship. A few more scriptures in First Corinthians 14 and verse 17. He says, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved son, excuse me, who is my beloved and faithful son, in the Lord. And uh, finally, in Galatians 4.19, he says, My little children. He starts with my little children. And this is the Apostle Paul now, not the Apostle John. So both of them have used the same term. And l- let me just say this as well. Notice in this verse, I don't know if you got it up there or not. But he, no, it okay, doesn't matter. He says, you my, oh, sorry, this was uh, Galatians 4.19. He says, my little children of, for whom I labor in birth, again until Christ is formed in you. Can I suggest this to you as well? If you're praying for people and, you know, somebody comes into the kingdom through your prayers, as much as you rejoice there, that is only the beginning. What you need to do now is pray that Christ is formed in them, that they become strong Christians. Amen? And they can... Remember the Apostle Paul talks about the wiles of the devil and all the different ways he'll attack you. And who are we talking about right now? Christians that are sinning. Did you get this? Okay, so you know they need prayers. Just because they're in, doesn't mean they're perfect. Dear God, you know that, right? (laughs) Okay, You met some of those Christians. Anyway, so moving on, the Apostle John then goes on to say, My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. Now, as the Spirit-filled Life Bible so eloquently puts it, although John's purpose is to keep his readers from sinning, Realistically, He knows that at some time, they will commit an act of sin. Can we get amen on that? Okay, without jeopardizing yourself. Now, this is not the same as a person living in sin, and not wanting to change their ways, but one who is doing their best in their struggle against sin, to live a holy life. Do you see the difference? Okay? So, there are times when we'll slip, and it's going to happen. And the, the thing that you need to understand, is what is about to come next. See, the Apostle John has been saying, listen, first he wants—he was getting us to the place where we recognize sin. That we're not lying to ourselves. We're not deceiving ourselves. Amen? We're not making God out to be a liar when he says that there was a sin sacrifice that was necessary for you. Because all you guys are going to mess up somewhere. Alright? Those are all the verses very quickly. Okay? And so what he's doing now is he's saying, alright, since we have covered the area of You're not lying to yourself. You're not deceiving yourself. You're not making God to be a liar, blah, 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 blah. Since we got past that, we are now to the place where we're saying, okay, you understand, first of all, that you need to acknowledge before you receive forgiveness. Okay, that you can't receive forgiveness if you don't acknowledge it. Are you all with me? Okay, so we learned that. So we know how to do that. But then the next thing he goes on to talk about now is he's going to talk to us about how does this actually happen? This is something really cool and really amazing and uh some of the things that we will share over these next two verses are going to be incredible whether we get to them today or not i'm not sure but anyway if you are struggling with something let me just before i go on to the next bit if you are struggling with something stop struggling go to god okay because a lot of times we are trying to deal with things in our own strength and god says don't do that You're not designed for that, okay? You are designed for me to work through you. See, understand something. We are living in a fallen world. So everything is going in the the negative direction. If that wasn't the case, you'd be able to overcome things. Do you understand? But because there is so much going in the other direction, it is very difficult for you to stand against that kind of current, and it's kind of like a tsunami sometimes. You, You just get wiped out. And you think, God, I tried, but whoo, you know, that was the end of that. Lasted about three seconds. Can I get a okay? Do I get a witness? Okay, all right, okay. (laughs) And you think, oh, what's the point? Listen, man, you need God. That's the whole point of this. He's saying, Listen, if you're having problems, go to God, He'll help you through this. And we're going to get some insight into how that's going to happen. But before we do that, let me go on to something here. In his commentary, John MacArthur. he says, although Christians must continually acknowledge and confess sin, they are not powerless against it. Fulfilling the duty of confession does not give license to sin. Sin can and should be conquered through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how is that meant to happen? In Romans chapter 8, we'll look at verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. That's not good news. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now notice he says, if what? By the Spirit. He didn't say by your sheer will. And you're going, "Mm." okay? (laughs) That's not going to do it. Now some people are very strong in their will and praise God, okay? I I commend you. But there are some people that just kind of look at it and go, now forget it. Not today, (laughs) okay? In a negative way. Not in a positive way. Notice he says here, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons, daughters of God. Amen? Do you know why it doesn't say daughters there? I put it in there just for you. But because all of us have the Son in us. Men and women both have the son in us. That's why I said God doesn't see male and female. He just sees his son. Do you understand? We're the ones that see gender. He never does. Because we always come based on what Jesus did, not what we did. Amen? So it is is Jesus that he sees whenever we turn up in his name. That's why we do everything in his name. Do you understand? We don't do that as a religious thing that we go, you know, in the name of Jesus. Okay, we got that out of the way. Now let's move on. No. <laughs> okay. When we say, see, if you go into a corporation and the doors are locked. Okay. And say say, Don is the, the CEO of the, of the organization. Hello, Don. Okay. Let's say he's the CEO of the organization. They won't let nobody in. You walk up to the door and say... In his name, I'm coming in. And you go, oh, yeah. yeah, you know him? Yeah, Open the doors. Come along. We'll open the elevator. We'll take you up wherever you need to go. In his name. But if you came in your name, if I said, Hello, this is Roshan. Forget about it. Get away. Shoo, shoo. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay? You all know what I'm saying, right? Okay? See, if I come in my name, eh, I'm not getting anywhere. The thing is, you need to understand that what we do, we do in His name, in the name of Jesus, because He is the one that paid the price. He is the one that has direct access into heaven, and we are in Him. And He is in us, which now gives us direct access to heaven through Him. Amen? Amen. And so all our fight needs to be in God. We should never fail in life. Do you know what the problem is? Hosea tells us, 4 6, I believe it is, it says, My people, my people, God is saying, My people are destroyed, not because of a lack of power, a lack of promises, hmm? a lack of anything. It's just they don't know. Are you with me? He says they are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You know, you could have the biggest gun and have it aimed at the devil. And not know how to pull the trigger. And he comes and slaps you, silly. Every single day. And right next to you is this amazing, massive devil killing machine. But you don't know how to use it. So every day, slap, slap. That's exactly what happens to those people that are struggling and losing their fight with sin. <laughs> There's this massive gun called the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> he's, just, he's just going, just pull the trigger. I'll do stuff. Even, you know, even the angels of God are standing around you saying, say something. I mean, resist a little bit. <laughs> okay? And we'll get involved. Hello. How, that, see, all of that has to do with confession. That's why, you know, we got so caught up in confession, we didn't realize that confession was royalty speaking. And all of heaven says, one of God's children have spoken. What they say, we do. As long as it's in line with this. Amen? If it's a word, they'll carry it out. If it's your stuff, forget about it. (laughs) That's why you need to know the word. Alright, but there are other things as well. Notice that a big part of conquering sin in your life is to be led by the Spirit. And one of the things that He'll lead you is to be geographically in His will. Can I say this? So much of the time, the traps that the devil sets have to do with geography. Has to do with where you are at the time. See, if you're not in a place, not just in your mind, but geographically, to do the wrong thing, you won't do the wrong thing. But if you put yourself in a place geographically to do the wrong thing, then guess what? All the resisting isn't going to help because you put yourself there. You've already said that's where you want to be. Now, you, you know, it's very hard to ask God to get you out of there when you put yourself there. Are you all with me? See, we need to be really careful about where we're led. And we need to always, and that's one of the reasons why we need to check with God. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, just check that's where you're meant to be. Can I just say that? Just check, God, am I geographically in your will? A lot of times people are missing out on their blessing because they're not in the right place at the right time. Did you get that? Could have been that one person, you were meant to be there, you don't know why, but then you ran into someone and then the rest is history. Okay, you know, they offered you a job or something happened and I mean it just took off from there. They gave you an idea. Whatever it is, you were geographically in the right place. Let's have a look at somebody that was geographically out of God's will. So you know where this is coming from. Turn to uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 11 very quickly. This is a mistake that King David made. And I know some of you know about this. But there are others here that I don't think would know this. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm reading in verses 1 and 2. It says, And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Now what was that time? That was a time when kings go out to battle. They so don't stay at home and sleep. They go out to battle. Okay? So, which tells us that was what God's will was. He was meant to be, whoever we're going to talk about here, this is David. Okay? That he was meant to be out in battle. That was his place geographically. That was in God's will. Are you with, are you with me? Okay? That's why that first little sentence is there. It says that, and it, then it goes and says that David sent Joab And his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Notice the big but. I won't sing it. Okay. (laughs) Notice, you know, if we were if we were listening to music, the music will suddenly turn there. But David remained in Jerusalem, and we all know with the music that was not right. Are you all with me? Okay. And notice, because he was geographically out of God's will, watch what happens. Then it happened one evening that uh, David, one evening, that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. The dude is sleeping all day. He wakes up in the evening. Wonder what's going on. This is the time when kings are meant to be out in battle. Watch this. Watch this. And notice it says, and goes on to say, And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And then it goes downhill from there. We all know her to be Bathsheba. We know that he commits adultery. We know that there is a child that comes from that. We know that child doesn't live. We know that then he causes the indirect murder of her husband. There's a big story there. Because he tries to bring him back from the front lines. You know, because he's thinking now, you know, nine months, if the husband was here and, you know, they, you know, and and then it could be his. But her husband is so honorable because his men are fighting in battle. He He comes back, you know. <laughs> Let me just quickly tell you the story. You, you just, this is a very quick version, okay? <laughs> you can just see, David said, send you know, uh, send for Uriah, let him come back. That's his her husband said. And so he comes back, and he's like dusting himself off. He goes, okay, David, what's the problem? He goes, you know what? Just take a couple of days off. Ah, uh, what? Y- you know we're still fighting, right? You know, like we're charging into battle, there's people dying. Why am I lying down here? See? None of, none of this is making sense to him. And you know what he does? He, David says, just go spend some time with your wife. He doesn't. He goes and stays in the guardhouse. Because he feels so bad that he's met her out there and he's at home. And so David goes, well, that didn't work. <laughs> okay? And so he puts a letter in his hand, which is really sad. That he says, take this and give it to the commander. And what that letter says is, when you're charging, when you, when you meet up with your enemy, fall back. Leave Uriah by himself out there. And so he is killed. Of course, he repents from all of this. But as a result of it, there's a loss of his child. There's this indirect murder. His kingdom gets torn apart as well. Now can you understand why? The apostle John says, Even though there is forgiveness, I'm writing so you don't sin. Because the consequences are terrible. God will forgive you. But the consequences are still going to be there. Even to the woman caught in adultery in in John chapter 8. Remember Jesus said to her in verse 11. Remember he said, Neither do I condemn you. But he says, Go and sin no more. Amen? Do you know why? Because it always has consequences. God isn't there trying to, you know, mess up your little party. He's trying to keep you on track and keep you in a place of blessing. Are you all with me? Amen? In his commentary, I heard Marshall writes, If sin was a characteristic of Christians and forgiveness was freely available, the readers might well have reacted like the people who asked, uh, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That's in Romans six <laughs> Okay. John, therefore, had to make it quite clear that his purpose was that Christians should not sin. Unconfessed sin was incompatible with fellowship with God. John's aim, therefore, was that his readers would both recognize their sin and confess it and also seek to live without sin. In other words, the Christian ideal will always be to not sin. But in those times that we occasionally do sin, the Apostle John goes on to say, in the latter half of verse um, 1, he says, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let's look at this now. Here we see, and we'll continue this on next week, and and probably the week after, depending on how long it takes, I'm going to get through this. Here again we see why this epistle may have been written after John's heavenly encounter following the book of Revelation. Because the apostle John is describing something that he may, may have very well witnessed firsthand. All right, And that is an actual courtroom situation in heaven where obviously God is a judge and Jesus Christ is our own personal defense attorney. If he didn't see that, he wouldn't really know to say this. Because I'm going to take you to Revelation. I told you. Alright, I'm going to take you to Revelation to show you some of these things. So that, you know, you begin to understand perhaps why I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more and more towards... I know, you know, people, the, the traditional view is that these were written before Revelation. But they're written so close together, you know, it is easy to, to, for one to be written before the other. Do you all know what I'm trying to say? And also makes a little bit more sense if he went and saw certain things that he would, need, he would come back and write... Letters. Amen? With that knowledge. Wouldn't you want to tell somebody? I mean, yeah, he wrote the book of Revelation, but then that was all the visions and everything else. How do you apply all of that to to your life here today? This would be the application. Alright. To give us a little bit more insight into this, I, Howard Marshall, writes, the English word advocate is based on the Latin advocatus. This is all important. Which in turn corresponds to the Greek word paracletos and literally means one called alongside to help. In the present context, the word undoubtedly signifies an advocate or counsel for the defense in a legal context. It means a person who intercedes on behalf of somebody else. All right, I want you to just get a picture. Can I just continue on? The reason why we have access to such an amazing defense attorney is brought out in what William MacDonald reminds us of when he says there is something very wonderful in this verse which we should not overlook. It says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. It does not say with God, but rather with the Father. He is still our Father even if we sin. This reminds us of the blessed truth that though sin in a believer's life breaks fellowship, it does not break relationship. Are you getting this? Alright. When a person is born again, he or she becomes a child of God. God is henceforth his or her father and nothing can ever affect that relationship. A birth is something that cannot be undone. A son may disgrace his father, but he is still a son by the fact of birth did you get all of that all right now we can understand why the Apostle John spent so much time almost half of chapter one convincing us to acknowledge our sin and get back into fellowship with God as soon as possible because all the benefits of christ's advocate ministry only works when we do amen so can you see he see <clears throat> what he did was he, he understood what an incredible ministry was at work on our behalf. We had an advocate. We have Jesus Christ who is the righteous. Okay? And all of that only works. I mean, he's seeing all of this. And he's looking down and thinking, My God, they don't even... All they have to do is acknowledge that they made a mistake and all that will work. Do you get this? And he's saying, listen man... You don't know, you know, again, I'm I'm working from a pretext of that he's been to heaven. He's saying, you don't know what I've seen. And And, you know, I'm standing up there looking at this amazing stuff. It's almost like, you know, you have this incredible machinery and all you have to do is push the little red button. And the whole thing starts up and it'll do incredible things. But you have to push the little red button. And for some reason, people don't want to push the little red button. They make excuses for, oh, I don't have time to push the little red button. Well, if you push it, everything you will have a lot of time. Get it? He says, please just confess your sin. Acknowledge the thing. Push the little red button. And all of this stuff will then start to work for you. Are you getting this? So as tiresome as it was, okay, as we went through all the reasons why we need to not, you know, uh, avoid and and, and make excuses for and everything else is for this reason. We have an advocate. We are still God's children. And He so much wants to act on our behalf and do what all needs to be done in our life in order for us to fulfill our destiny. Do you know each one of you have an incredible destiny? I'm not kidding, man. You know, you might just think, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. No, see, you've heard it, but you've never experienced it. That's the difference. Amen? It's kind of like like being in love. You can watch all the movies. Okay? Hear all about it. Read books. Until you're in love, you don't know. Because you look at some of those and go, I would never do something like that. Just wait and see. And only somebody that's in love knows what somebody in love is going through. Especially if they have a problem. <laughs> okay? You know what I'm trying to say? Books are not going to give you that. Do you see what I'm trying to say? It is an experience. John has said, listen, I have seen, and I'll show you this the next week or the week after when we get to it. I have seen what goes on up there. I understand the power that is available. And all it takes is this one step, one little thing that you need to do. And all of this starts to work on your behalf. The big question is, will you do it? That's why he says, listen, I'm writing all this stuff so you don't sin. And if you do sin, we have an advocate. So he's saying, listen, even knowing all of this, you might think, whoa, with all that working for me, I can do whatever I want. No, okay? He's saying, that's not the way to live. Because there's something that happens in you, the more you walk in righteousness, more mountains begin to move in your life. There's a power that begins to develop. Do you hear me? And the more you do what is right, the more power is released in your life, and the more things, more changes you can affect. Alright? You can make a difference. Hallelujah. Isn't that what we're here for? Alright? This isn't about religion, family. This is about reality. And changing what is not in line with God's will. Wherever it may be. Amen? Let's have a head bow. We'll leave it there and come back next time and we'll talk about Jesus Christ, Advocate Ministry. And you you will be blessed. All the things that he will do on your behalf. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you.